if I had to do it all over again, starting today, knowing what I know now, I would probably pay someone to build me a tiny house <laughs> because I just, you know, we were glad we didn't, but it was, it was a very specific adventure anchored in a very specific time of our lives. Welcome to the Tiny House Lifestyle Podcast, the show where you learn how to plan, build, and live the tiny lifestyle. I'm your host, Ethan Waldman, and this is episode 117 with Laura Lavoie. This week, I'm excited to catch up with my friend, Laura Lavoie. Laura and Matt were early tiny house bloggers that I followed while building my own house, and they really embody what I see as the tiny house lifestyle, going beyond what it means to just live in a tiny house day to day and changing the entire course of their lives. So stick around for this really fun interview. But first, I want to tell you about our sponsor today. The Tiny House Lifestyle Podcast is brought to you by Tiny House Decisions. Tiny House Decisions is my signature resource that helps you go from dream to plan to even building your tiny house. I'll tell you more about it after the show, but all you should know right now is that I'm offering 20% off for podcast listeners. Just head over to thetinyhouse.net slash THD and use the coupon code TINY. Again, that's thetinyhouse.net slash THD, coupon code TINY. All right, I am here with Laura Lavoie. Laura is a writer currently living in Decatur, Georgia with her partner Matt and their cat Toast. In 2012, after working as a recruiter for 15 years, Laura quit her job to move to the mountains of western North Carolina. Things changed again when in the summer of 18, Matt was accepted into the Emory University School of Law. Their return to Atlanta, where they lived for almost 10 years before, marked the next adventure for two people who have a hard time sitting still. Laura's been a figure in the tiny house movement since she and Matt built their own 120-square-foot tiny home near Asheville, North Carolina. They began their project in 2009, and Laura wrote about the experience on her blog, Life in 120 Square Feet. They have also traveled around the country to speak about tiny homes at conferences and festivals. Her book, Life in 120 Square Feet, The Essays, is available on Amazon. Laura Lavoie, welcome to the show. Thanks, Ethan. I'm really excited to be here. Yeah, excited to have you here, too. Um, you know, you, you kind of said something that I love in your, in your intro email, which is that you're more interested in talking about the why-to of tiny houses than the how-to. Um, I was curious, like, let's elaborate on that. Like, what, what, what was the why for you way back in 2009 when you were like, we want to build a tiny house? Absolutely. Well, there were a bunch of reasons. And because it was a decision my partner and I came to together, you know, we each had sort of parallel reasons to do it. Mm -hmm. uh, my primary goal was that I wanted to quit my corporate job because I was absolutely miserable every single day. And I wanted to be able to go out on my own and do my own thing. But I didn't feel like I had a safety net to do that. I had a mortgage that I had to pay for. But we could get out from under that if we built a tiny house with our own hands, that we paid for with cash. And then I would feel more comfortable quitting my job because I didn't have to have that, you know, huge income to be able to pay for my basic expenses. Um, and for Matt, some of it was about building the house itself. He wanted to prove that he could physically put together a house from the ground up. Um, so 
those things were really, they were parallel and they worked together well together was one of the reasons we were able to, to do that ourselves. Nice. So it sounds like it was mainly a financial decision to kind of ease the, ease the shock of, of intentionally shedding an, a, a big income. Yeah, for me, I think it was. It gave me the confidence. I mean, ultimately, I could have done it before. I just didn't have the confidence to do it. But once I proved to myself that I could do it, well, then I could definitely quit a job and start my own business and make that seed regardless of my base income level. So, But it did give me the confidence to be able to do it. And did you wait until you were done with the tiny house to quit the job? Or was it kind of like a concurrent thing? We were almost done with the tiny house. It was actually eight years ago this week. That was my last day on the job. So I quit um, at the beginning of April and the tiny house was almost finished. And I gave them like six weeks notice because I had been there for a long time. And so it was, it, it was about the same time. It was livable. We could physically move into it at that point. Um, but you know, I didn't, again, I didn't quite have that confidence level to do it until I knew that we were moving in. So yeah, eight years ago this week was my last day at the corporate job. Congratulations. <laughs> I too have a, a similar story of kind of using the tiny house as a kind of motivation and, and means of, of quitting a corporate job. And it, it feels good. I'm guessing you're never going back. No, I have no intention to ever go back. You know, even with things being a little weird, I am, you know, I I can make money on my own. I can, I work for my clients and things go up and down all the time, but I have the ability to control, you know, what I do, when I do it, how I do it. So did the, did your source of income, was that tied to the tiny house? Like I know you've, you've done a ton of writing and you sell you know, you have your book about, about living in the tiny house, but you know, is that what your intention was? And has that, how has that worked? (laughs) You know, I, I figured at the very least, it would be an interesting part of my bio. Um, and it might get people interested in working with me. Um, but it was never necessarily my intention to have, you know, a, a fully paid for supported blog about tiny house living. I started the blog just for my own interest. I just wanted a journal of what we were doing, you know, put all the pictures one place. I was as surprised as anybody when people started reading it. So for me, they weren't tied together. Writing for me has always been the most important part. The tiny house gave me the catalyst to write more, but it wasn't the entire part of the process. I wrote the book because I had that platform, but, you know, for the most part, the writing I do for clients is marketing. It's, you know, writing their blogs or, you know, online content or newsletters. And then I write for myself, too. I write fiction as well as nonfiction. So. Awesome. And I would imagine that the tiny house is a nice place to write. It is. It's a very nice place to write. So you took so you were like one of the few people I was probably one of your blog readers back in like 20, 2009, 2010, like when I was kind of kind of kicking this idea around. Um, you took a tumbleweed house on wheels and put it on a foundation. And that was the first I had ever seen someone like do it on a foundation. Absolutely. Yeah, we, um, it, I was surprised that more people hadn't, you know, the, 
the original concept of the tumbleweed house was this tiny house on wheels. And obviously that's become the pervasive image of tiny houses. And we bought our plans way, way back in the day when, uh, you know, tumbleweed tiny house was just a tiny company, one guy running it. Uh, we had direct access to him once we bought the plans. Like we could just call him up on the phone and say, hey, we have a question. <laughs> How do I do this? Which we did. But so we took those plans and they were, he, he's not an architect. He's an artist. <laughs> so the plans were very basic at the time. At the very beginning, there were some things where it just didn't have information. It didn't have measurements. <laughs> we just had to wing it. Um, so we were able to take the basics of it, you know, decide what kind of foundation we wanted to build and then adjust from there. So we put it on a foundation because it's halfway up a mountain in the, you know, middle of nowhere, Western North Carolina, and there's no road access to where we are. So we didn't want to have wheels. We didn't want to have to pave it. We didn't want to have to grade it. We didn't want to have to do anything. We just wanted to be able to put concrete piers in the mountain to account for the slope and build a house. I remember seeing a blog post or maybe talking to you about the fact that you literally just had to drag all your construction materials up up that mountain. I think you had an, a little ATV to do that in? We had an ATV, but it only worked a fraction of the time. So Sometimes we could load it up with materials and sometimes we just had to put those materials on our shoulders and carry it up the mountain. Um, and it's not a short distance, but we did it. <laughs> we did the whole thing. It's very like chop wood, carry water. <laughs> the Zen of building a tiny house. It is exactly that. And, you know, for us, I don't know that I would recommend anybody else do it. I don't know that I would do it now, you know, eight years after it was done, because I'm just a different person now, all of that. But at the time, it was as much a part of that process as the end result of having a tiny house. You know, we learned so much about ourselves. So you mean you wouldn't do the, the like, carry the, the wood up the mountain? No. Okay. No. But you'd still build the tiny house? Oh, I would still build a tiny house, yes. If I had to do it all over again, starting today, knowing what I know now, I would probably pay someone to build me a tiny house <laughs> because... I just, you know, we were glad we did it, but it was, it was a very specific adventure anchored in a very specific time of our lives. And we weren't ready to do it before that. And I don't want to do it again exactly the way we did it, but I'm very, very, very grateful that we did it then. That's awesome. And, and, you know, I, I think that it's important to look at those experiences and just because you wouldn't do it the same way, you know, I was really impressed when we met that that you and Matt had purchased what I referred to as a as the little house, um, as opposed to the tiny house. And, you know, you had taken your skills that you had learned from building to to basically renovate this sweet little house in in Asheville. Yeah, yeah, that was a that was sort of I mean, it was partially planned, but partially a happy accident. We had been living in the tiny house for a year. We didn't know what to do because we are people that thrive on adventures. So we're like, we need something else to do. We don't, right now we're just sitting in an idyllic house on a mountain. What do we do with our time? So we decided to look at real estate in the city of Asheville. You know, our tiny house is close, but it's still, you know, a fair drive away from downtown. And so we just started looking and we happened upon this little 700 square foot house that, you know, not many people wanted to buy because it's 700 square feet. And that's not really, you know, the size house most people want. 
So it was trashed. It had, you know, I mean, it wasn't trash bad, but the owner was older and he couldn't maintain it. So it needed a lot of love. And we figured we just learned how to do all this stuff. Let's do it in this 700 square foot house. So we did. And, you know, we didn't even know what we were going to do with it at the time. We thought we might rent it out, but we ended up falling in love with the neighborhood and how close we were to downtown. So we ended up just living in that, that 700 square foot house. But we would have never done that if we had never built the tiny house. We wouldn't have even known that that was an option. Did you find navigating kind of living in two houses to be challenging? <laughs> you know, for us, it, it worked out fine. And because we built our tiny house uh, kind of intentionally to be sort of a three-season house, we knew we were never going to live in it in the worst of the winter. Uh, of course, winter in North Carolina is never the worst. But we still knew that it wasn't going to be that place. So for us, it really wasn't that big a transition or bad a transition. We just, you know, we use the tiny house now as a getaway, as a place to go, a place to meditate, a place to write. And we're glad we have it. But the 700 square foot house absolutely fits our lifestyle. It's not too big. It's exactly what we wanted. We made it exactly what we wanted. So I'm grateful that we have both uh, in our lives. Yeah, absolutely. I'm just smiling because it's like, I, I feel like I'm so parallel. To, to where you're at like we've we've done the tiny house thing we're also in a like 750 square foot condo in burlington which is like it's small it's challenging surprisingly it's like the tiny house is actually easier to be in because it's way better thought out than this place <laughs> but um it 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 is interesting uh, like i feel like you've also kind of financially it seems been able to open up your your life to more possibilities because you've lived below your means and you've you've done the tiny house thing that that was always the goal and I, you know i hope we've succeeded in that it's it's given us so many more opportunities and you mentioned at the very beginning right now we're living in decatur georgia because matt decided to go to law school again we would have never done that if we had never built the tiny house i mean you know, we're not, we're not in our twenties. We, you know, this is not a decision that we graduated from college, built a tiny house and then went to law school. This has been over decades that we have come to this conclusion. So, uh, you know, the fact that we can even do this is it's all because of the tiny house. It's all because we decided to start building and, you know, literally picked up that hammer and that first nail and started doing it. Nice. What are Matt's plans with, with his law degree? He has one more year left, uh, and however that year goes, because he's been doing remote learning, of course, for this past semester, as uh, most students around the country are doing. Um, but he, he's looking at a few different options, so I don't really want to pin him down to anything that'll be on the record. But uh, his previous career was in technology, so there's a lot of really cool stuff with technology law. Public interest has been an interest of his, and that's what his summer job was in last year. Um, he also likes property law, which is understandable given our experience with tiny houses. And you know, we started an organization in Asheville to promote small and tiny houses for affordable living. So that's one of the reasons he even decided to go to law school. So this gives us a little bit more of a foundation to go back to Asheville and tackle it from a different perspective. Nice. So you've been 
involved in the tiny house movement since 2009 and been writing about it, I would say the whole the whole time. Mm-hmm. Um, have you noticed any trends in your own writing or your own experience of the tiny house movement? You know, of you know how has it changed? Like how it's how have things changed over those eleven years as a more of a movement? Yeah, you know the interesting part about that is when we started in two thousand nine, there wasn't a lot out there. There was the original Tumbly Tiny House uh, company, and there were maybe a handful of blogs around. And you know, I just threw mine into the mix to see what happened. Again, it started out as a journal just so I could keep my information. And then it sort of blew up. And what I noticed in the very beginning was most of the people doing it, it was a DIY movement. People wanted to get their hands dirty, build their own house, and see what happened after that. Um, What I noticed that as it started to pick up steam, that it became less about physically wanting to build a house and more about buying a tiny home as a potential answer for affordable living. And while I support that, I think in some ways that derailed the tiny house movement because I think a lot of people were looking at it for answers that no house can provide. You know, it's, it's never about the house itself. You know, it's always about the things you've learned, the things you've done. So if you just buy a tiny house, it's just another thing you've bought. It's, you don't have the buy-in for it. You don't have that blood, sweat, and tears that you poured into it and that you know, three years of growth from learning to build it for yourself when it should have taken you six months. And, and I noticed that that was a big, you know, that was really happening. And you saw this explosion of tiny house conferences and tiny house festivals and tiny house television, reality shows, things like that. And I kind of saw it lose its heart a little, you know, it just became another thing. But I think there's still always that underlying, you know, culture of people that just want to do it for the love of building a tiny house for just the adventure of figuring out how it works. Yeah, no, that's that's a that's a good observation. I mean, I I'm part of me wants to say, well, you know, not everyone can build their own house and, you know, living in a tiny house whether you've built it yourself or not can be a transformative experience itself. Yeah, absolutely. I completely agree. But I do agree that the the building process can be pretty transformative. Absolutely. And, and what I've seen is the people who, you know, I want, I need to convince my partner to live in a tiny house or I, you know, I, I need to do it because I can't afford any other options. I get that. And that's heartbreaking. And we need to work on that issue. But the tiny house in and of itself is not the only solution. So we need to talk about it in terms of a part of the solution uh, for it. So, you know, it'll never fix a relationship problem. It will never fix a financial problem. You know, again, if you just buy a house, just like any size house, it's not going to solve all your problems. You really have, that's why I say it's all about the why, not about the how to, because you need to know why you want to do this before you do it, because it is so transformative. It is something that can change your life. But if you don't go into it with that mindset, you may not come out of it learning the lessons you you were meant to learn. Right. It's really kind of about what your values are and how a tiny house kind of meshes with them more so than having this thing that is a tiny house. Exactly. Well, again, talking about the like 
build it yourself versus versus buying a tiny house. What would you say to somebody like how what are some ways that you can get that transformative experience without necessarily doing the full thing? Absolutely. I think about this a lot because like I I said earlier, if I did it again today at the age of 45, I would not build my own tiny house mostly because I'm 45 and I do not want to deal with that anymore. But, and I would buy one because that would be an option available to me. But there's so, there are so many more steps between building and buying a tiny house. And a lot of it's just about mindset and you can do that wherever you're living. It doesn't matter if you move into a tiny house. So, you know, the things about learning to live minimally or, you know, decluttering and, you know, determining the things that you truly need to live with, you can do that in a thousand square feet as easily as you can in a, in 120, or at least you can you know, put yourself in that mindset to do it. So I think a lot of it's just about reevaluating how you live in your house, how, what your house is to you, because a lot of us just view it as a place to put our stuff. And, but a house can really be something, it's one of the most important things you can have in your life. Not only is it satisfying the need for shelter, but it it is, it is your home base. It is your heart. It is everything you need to, to be, you know, a collective, a small family and whatever you have. So I think learning how to live in your house, whatever your house is, or whatever you think your house should be, is the transformative experience that you shouldn't just look at it as a building with walls and a place to put your stuff. That you should really look at how you interact with it, how you use the space, how you use the rooms, you know, how you live outside of your home. Because just because you have a home doesn't mean, I mean, right now I know we're all pining to get out, but it also doesn't mean you have to stay inside your walls 24-7 most of the time. So how do you interact with your community? How do you make your community your home? So I think a lot of those things are as important, if not more, than just the square footage you have. Yeah, it's almost like looking at it from the sense of of a, a lifestyle design, which I know is kind of a buzz buzzwordy kind of concept. But you know, for for most of us, our tiny house is the only like custom space that we will ever get a chance to live in, one that we build for ourselves or that was built for us specifically. And that really does allow you to design it around your life. Absolutely. You know, it's funny because you mentioned, you know, your condo is, you know, poorly designed. You know, the use of space isn't what you would have done if you had done it. So the tiny house is your space. It's your use of space. And we absolutely, our tiny house was designed, even though we use these plans, you know, we modified it. We made it work for us. It's exactly what we wanted to build. And then we got lucky with our little house in the city that it's a perfect little square bungalow with perfectly portioned rooms and it just works great. And, you know, not everybody has that option, but for us, it was absolutely ideal. And so we have been able to turn that into our ideal space, exactly what we wanted. But we're in this apartment that you see behind me, which wasn't necessarily, you know, we had to move to Decatur for three years. We chose from the best available options we had for the the area we wanted to be in um, and our budget and all of that. And I will tell you, this this apartment is about a thousand square feet, but it is the most poorly designed space I have ever lived in. Even after living my, you know, our 
house before the tiny house was 2,700 square feet and it was too big and too ridiculous. This is the most poorly designed place I've ever lived. We've made it work because we have to, but I would have never designed something like this. And I don't think it works for human beings in any way. And I think that's part of the lesson you can learn out of the tiny house movement is that the space that you live in matters. What are some things that you've done to the terrible apartment space? Because I I can envision someone listening to this who is like, yeah, tell me about it. I'm in a space that wasn't designed for me. It's poorly laid out, but I don't have the option yet of of living in a tiny or living somewhere else. Like, So what are some things that you've done with the space to, to improve it? Absolutely. And in fact, we're, we have plans this summer to completely rearrange it, uh, which just in time for our final year, because why not? But we have, so in this space, it's very complicated. It has a very large great room and kitchen with huge windows uh, on one side. And then there's another room off of that that's a bedroom with huge windows. And then there's another bedroom that has no windows. And it's completely like there's nothing in there. So knowing that I work from home, that I have to be in here, we took what would typically be the master suite, which is where I'm sitting right now, and made it the office because in front of me, where you all can't see, there's a huge window. And I wanted to be able to look out at the trees and the street, the cars going by and people. Um, I did not want to do that in the, house, in the room with no windows because what's the point of that? But the room with no windows can make a very effective bedroom because you know it blocks out the light, you can sleep easy, you can control the temperature, you can tr- control all of that. So it's not ideal. Who builds a room without bedroom or without windows? But they did. So, you know, we made it work for that. You know, we we have, an, there's a sitting counter, you know, to eat at, which is great, but we don't like to just sit at a counter and look at, you know, the stove when we eat. We like to sit facing each other because that's how we're used to doing it. So we put a little bistro table set in the kitchen by the window so that we can still do that, have our meals together um, so that we don't have to use this bar you know, we use it for other things, but we don't, we're not forced into using it. But we are actually going to turn this room into a den and move our office into the great room <laughs> to see what happens. All right. Why not switch it up a little? Yeah, I mean, be, being able to change your space like that, it, it makes it feel new again and exciting and kind of a change of context for work, especially, is, is great. Yes. And and given that we're kind of forced into a position where we're both working from home right now, uh, Matt's schooling from home right now, uh, and that was not the plan, changing it up a little more, you know, just to give us a, some fresh scenery and something new to look at and just a different way to, to conceptualize everything, I think it will be helpful for us in the long run. And then we're going to move back to Asheville anyway. So if it doesn't work for us, then it's only temporary. Have you been able to get back to your tiny house while you've been away? We have. Absolutely. Last summer, we lived in the tiny house uh, all summer long because Matt had a summer job back in Asheville. So we lived up there for, uh, what, two and a half months over the summer. Um, And we try to make sure we get up there when we can, you know, anytime we go back to Asheville, even if we're staying with friends just because we don't want to stay that far out of town. You know, we still take a day to go up there and check it out, make sure everything's good, clear out trees that have fallen. Fallen. <laughs> you know, they do. It's in the woods. 
We also have really great neighbors out there. And uh, one of our neighbors has goats. She actually texted me the other day if she could bring her goats up to the tiny house to eat weeds. And I'm like, absolutely. (laughs) I would love some free weed control. Go ahead for that. So there are pictures now of of little goats eating leaves right near the tiny house. It's very cute. Nice. How do you approach... Well, how do you prevent the feeling of like every time you go to the tiny house that all you have to do is all the home maintenance chores that kind of pile up when you're not there? Because I, I have felt that we're we're in between parking spots right now um, and we were in a beautiful spot, but it like had a big lawn and like tons of trees that were constantly dropping leaves and like a dilapidated garage that needed repairs. And it was just like, sometimes I was just like, I just want to go to the tiny house and relax, but like, I'm just going there to do chores. Yeah, no, I completely hear you with that. And it's yes. And we, I, I think right now we're in a weird place because, you know, we're so far away from it. It's different, you know, when we're in Asheville and we're a 20 minute, 30 minute drive from it, we can go up there for a weekend, just do a couple things, hang out, do some more things later. But what we noticed this summer, especially, especially considering you know, we had to get up in the morning, get ready for what is essentially a traditional job. Sometimes Matt had to wear a suit. We are in the unique position that our tiny house is off grid. We don't have uh, traditional running water or anything like that. So it takes, you know, significantly longer in the morning to get ready than it does for normal people. Plus, we then have to, when we're not getting ready for work in the morning, We had to do things like carry the water up to the house because we don't have traditional plumbing. You know, we had to make sure that the electrical system was in good repair and that we could use it. The trees fell. It rained all summer long, which just annoyed us. So it's frustrating. And I get that. And I think that that's, you know, that's why romanticizing what a tiny house is, isn't always the best course of action because it's still a house. And you still have to maintain that house. You have to maintain your whatever parking spot you're on. It doesn't solve those problems. They don't, you know, just mysteriously disappear because your house is only 120 square feet. So I totally get it. And I don't know that we've come up with a perfect solution. We just deal with it. We go up, we we fix it up, we hang out, and we go wherever we're going next. Yeah, I guess you have to go for longer. Yeah, when we're there, when we're living in the same you know essentially the same region or city that that our house is we can do that right you know it's right now it's just in a really weird position and you know when you're between parking spaces that's also a really weird position yeah yeah well i'm curious um i love this this kind of pivot from how to to why to um I usually ask guests, like, what are two or three resources that helped you, like, learn and build your tiny house? But I'm curious if you have any any suggestions of of books or people who who you find helpful if somebody is kind of thinking about that, that why to. That's a, you know, the philosophy of tiny house living isn't really one that people, that's not where you get a lot of books. If you Google tiny houses or you look on Amazon for tiny house books, you're going to find almost exclusively books about literally the build process, you know, how to put a roof on your house and that sort of thing. I have found that personal essays and, and there are still blogs out there or social media 
those personal stories are really the ones that I think, you know, strike me that when I can fully understand why someone did what they did. There was an anthology that came out a couple of years ago called Turning Tiny. I don't even know where you can get it now. I have my contributor copy, but I'm sure you can find it. But what I loved about that is that it wasn't, there, there are a few sprinkled in. There's a couple how-tos, you know, do this and that. But it was essays. And it was all these amazing tiny house people that just wrote their story of why they decided to do this thing. And there's some amazing names in this book. It is actually the, the, the single piece of writing I've done to this point that I'm most proud of. I love the piece that I did in that. Uh, so, but it is not just about, you know, self-congratulations, but I think it's a great resource. Turning Tiny, I don't know where you can find it, but I'm sure you can Google it and find copies of it. That's the one I go with. And then there was a book of, uh, when I first started doing this called, I think it was called Tiny House on a Small Planet or Small House on a Tiny Planet. I love that book. Yes. And it has so much great info. And a lot of it's, a lot of it is the philosophy. It really wasn't about how to build. And I learned some things like one of the exercises I learned, like how to get ready to move into a tiny house came from that book where the author suggested you write, you put a note on every door in your house. And every time you go into that room, you write down why you went into that room. And over a month, two months, three months, you start to notice trends. You know, you, there are rooms in your house. If you live in a big traditional house, there are rooms you never use. So why do you need that room? <laughs> You're just, there's nothing in there. So it, it led us to understand that we were spending most of our time in the kitchen, you know, the, the living space, wherever a TV was and we were together and the bedroom. And that was it. And we really weren't using a lot of the rest of the house. We, we would sometimes spread out because we had the house to do it. We had an office, we had a whole media room, we had gigantic living room, we had a formal dining room. Two people and a cat didn't need that. You might want it, but we didn't need it. So we we did that exercise. We learned about how we were using this space and then realized that we didn't need even a fraction of that space. And then we went from that house, which was 2,700 square feet, to 120 square feet. And then when we sized up again, we only sized up to 700. <laughs> so we still shed 2,000 square feet off our lives that we weren't using. That's awesome. That's it's great advice. And I I don't think I ever did that exercise myself because I was already just like so ready. And I was like, I was living in a, a shared house. So I really like I had my room that had my stuff in it. And then there was like all this other space, but I hadn't like put stuff in that other space. Right, exactly. But I love that as an as an exercise. I remember there's an example in that book of a of a family that kind of lives in a tiny house on a property and then like they expand only when they need to like they add Mm -hmm. another hundred square foot building when you know when a kid is old enough to want their own bedroom or like when somebody gets into to like pottery and wants a pottery studio like you expand as you need it rather than like trying to buy something that's big enough to house everything that you could possibly want in the future right yeah absolutely that and that really strikes me, you know, as something that we we do. Like when we bought this house that we thought we were supposed to buy, you know, as mid twenties or you know early thirties professionals, you know, we buy bought this house in the suburbs of Atlanta, and we're like, this is exactly what we're supposed to do at this stage in our lives. 
And then we got there and we're like, why? <laughs> That's why that wasn't, that doesn't need to be the script. You know, it's, it's not one size fits all for everyone. So that really got us thinking about what we really needed. And then to do, you know, to discover the tiny house movement, you know, the, the tiny fledgling movement as it was at the time, you know, it really shed light on what we could do. And it changed our entire way of thinking about it. That's awesome. Well, thank you so much for, for being a guest on the show. Where, where can people find you? Uh, well, people can still find me at 120squarefeet.com. I don't update it very much, but you can go read all the archives and there's tons of pictures and the entire story of what we did, when we did it and how is all there. My book, Life of 120 Square Feet, the essays is available on Amazon so people can find it there. And you can also find me in some really weird places. Like I have a podcast with a friend called Bill Has Opinions. Nice. Uh, you can find that at Bill Has Opinions on Facebook. <laughs> And it is exactly what you think it is. Bill is my friend and he has opinions. So I do a lot of crazy stuff, always getting into new things, new adventures. So you can probably find out about it if you follow me on on Facebook or on Twitter. That's so tiny house of you. (laughs) (laughs) Laurel Voy, thank you so much. Thank you. Thanks for having me on. Thank you so much to Laura Lavoy for being a guest on the show today. You can find the show notes, including links and photos of Laura and Matt's tiny house at thetinyhouse.net slash 117. Again, that's thetinyhouse.net slash 117. And don't forget to check out my signature resource, Tiny House Decisions. You can learn more at thetinyhouse.net slash THD. Again, that's thetinyhouse.net slash THD. Well, that's all for this week. I'm your host, Ethan Waldman, and I'll be back next week with another episode of the Tiny House Lifestyle Podcast.